Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a harvester restaurant and I love film. As Winston S. Churchill once said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Yes, there's a slow, boring section in Vertigo, but persevere and the rewards are bountiful. Oh, good shout, Winston Churchill. I mean, Vertigo is one of the greatest films of all time. Every week I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that mean the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Kevin Smith, Jamila Jamil, and even Seb Plambles. But this week is the brilliant actor and podcaster Meredith Salinger. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you'll get an extra 20 minutes of chat with Meredith. We talk about beginnings and endings. You get a secret. You get the whole episode uncut and ad free and as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. The Ted Lasso season two finale airs tomorrow on Apple TV+. Plus. You can watch the whole two seasons in one go on Friday if you want. You can also watch Soulmate season one on Amazon Prime. Watch them both. you love them. Why not live your life? So... Meredith Salinger is a very funny and very good actor who has just started her own podcast, Did You Get My Text, with her husband and hero friend of the show, Patton Oswalt. We recorded this last week on Zoom and it was a lot of fun. That did get slightly derailed when I found out she was once in Annie. I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 167 of Films To Be Buried With. And welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by a hero, an actor, a podcaster, a activist, a Disney legend, a teenage legend, an adult legend, and a superstar person live in front of me now. Please welcome to the show the wonderful, it's Meredith! I feel like all the Muppets are going, whee, clapping. <laughs> I'm sad your Muppet poster's not behind you. How are you? I'm so happy to see you. It's so lovely to see you, Meredith Salinger. You are in LA, I am in LA, but we're doing this on Zoom because, you know, there's a pandemic. Yeah, as it goes. And easier to film this way. It's lovely to see you. Now, since I met you 
You are, for people that don't know you, Natty Gan. And um, that's how I know you, uh, Natty Gan. And you are also now doing a podcast yourself that's with true. your husband, friend of the show, Patton Oswald. Tell me. Yes. Tell you about it? Tell me why. <laughs> Tell me what happened. Tell me why. Oh, God. I'm so fascinated by it. I've listened to it and it's really great. And I'm always fascinated by Yeah. <laughs> but I'm fascinated when couples do stuff together only because I, I would be like, oh, my God, I don't want anyone hearing my conversations at home. Well, first of all, I, I don't know how far you've gotten into the podcast, but the third episode... Mm-hmm. We literally, st- I start the show laughing hysterically, but only because we were just in the most massive fight right before we started recording. And he's like, I'm going to leave. And he was going to walk out the, he w- didn't want to record the podcast. And I was, it was the only time we had, I was like, sit down, be professional. Let's just do this. And then we hit record and I just burst out laughing because I was just like, okay, you guys, you don't even know the huge fight we just had. And the whole podcast was adorable and charming and we were laughing and we had such a good time. And then it ended and I was like, do you see, do you see why I said to do what we were arguing about? And it started right up again and we got in a huge fight. But I was very proud of us that we were able to pull it together. <laughs> but it is. Is it like doing a, I, I've never done it, but I've, I know people who have. Is it like doing couples counseling where like you're, <laughs> you're kind of on together and then it ends and you still have to talk about what happened in front of that audience. No, that's the beauty of our podcast. I never have to speak to him ever in my in our whole marriage. It's amazing. <laughs> you just but concentrate into one hour a week. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, you know, the bit is basically the show is called Did You Get My Text? Right. And and when we first even met, our whole romance was via text. We met through oh, a mutual right. friend on Facebook. And she invited 15 people to a dinner party and everybody went but him. And the next day I texted the thread on Facebook, best dinner party ever. Dude, you missed the best fucking lasagna. And then he happened to be online and he DM'd me and he's like, oh man, I was supposed to be there. And I was online at the same time. And so for like two hours, we just texted back and forth all through Facebook for three months straight, two hours every night. We never met. We never spoke on the phone. We're very comfortable texting each other. And so- During COVID, yeah, he's home. We were home and his comedy tours Mm. got canceled and his show was put on hiatus and everything. But he's down like in his room and I'm in my room and we're just texting all day. And so the podcast is like, gives us an opportunity to sit down and just talk about the things. But then we don't have to talk to each other. It's (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, you could just go back to texting. Yeah. That's great. Uh, So people (laughs) say Mark Zuckerberg's done no good, but He did this. this one thing. You did one good thing. You did one good thing. That's amazing. And tell me how it is being married to a very successful working stand-up comedian and the fact that he goes away a lot. Is that a lifestyle that works well? As in, is it good that you have lots of time apart or do you... Well, I think because I didn't meet him or get married until I was 47. Hmm. And so I was so used to being single girl on my own that the when we first moved in together and I'd never lived with anyone before lots and oh, wow. tons of boyfriends but ne- you know they were all really poor choices <laughs> super <laughs> fun adventures not someone you want to live with or bring home oh, to your yeah. parents so when we first got married and we were living together I was always like 
whenever I lived alone and people came over, I'm like, can I get your drink? What can I do for you? And you sit down and you Mm -hmm. chat and you're like focused on the other person. But when you live with someone, you can't just be focused on that person all day long. And it was sort of like, this is so weird. What am I supposed to do with him in the house? And we're not, and he's working (laughs) and it was so weird. So it was great when he went away. Right. And it's great. I still get to be my 47 year old fun single self and be married and have the love and security at home. And it's a good mix. That's so cool. Uh, I normally say this to guests before we start recording. I realized that I didn't say it to you, which is if I ask you anything too personal, you don't wish you're uncomfortable, please say, don't, uh, don't include that and we'll cut it. But I forgot to tell you that up front, but I'm telling you that now because my next question is. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> well, no, it's just interesting. You don't have to answer it. But so, so before, so you were 47 when you got married. What was the longest relationship you had before Patton? Oh, uh, Patton is not my longest relationship even yet. Um, What's your longest? My first boyfriend and I were um, three years. That was high school into college. Then my college right. boyfriend was four years. Then I graduated college and then I had um, a boyfriend for two years and then nine months, a year and a half, nine months. Eight, like, so <laughs> yeah, I think four years was the longest. And Patton and I will be married for four years on November 4th. Congratulations. So on November 5th, he will be my longest relationship. <laughs> oh man, this is really exciting. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I must remember to send him a message on November 5th. <laughs> no, you the message. You did it. I'm making a note of that. Thank you for answering that question. Are you comfortable that I asked it and we can cut it? Brett, I have a feeling I, I'm really an open book. There's not much. I, I pretty much say everything. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but I, <laughs> okay. but I do. Okay, yeah. well, that's very nice. So, something else I've forgotten to tell you. Oh, no. Yeah, and I'm annoyed I didn't tell you this because I usually, I don't know how consistent I am with my memory. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting older or there's just too much in my brain to keep everything in. But the, I should have definitely told you this bit. Um, ooh, I'll just say it and then, and then we'll deal with it. You've, you've died? Yeah. You're, de- you're dead. Oh boy. What are we going to do about that? I'm so sorry. How did you die? I know. Well, I hope this isn't actually how I die, but I have always thought I will die from a broken heart. I know Uh. that sounds utterly romantic, whatever, but I feel things so intensely Hmm. and I'm empathetic to such a huge degree like i feel the pain of other people if if i see something physical happen to someone i literally i i can feel it if i even see the hint of emotion in someone i feel it Mm. even the thought or the idea of something happening to someone in my life like my parents i can't handle it i i've always thought i will die from a broken heart i really believe that might be the case i don't know i think that's probably what happened so i'm dead from a broken heart who broke your heart? I'm assuming it was Patton, that fucking monster. So many things. <laughs> yeah, for those four years. He <laughs> broke your heart. Is that what broke your heart? No, Patton? I get my heart gets broken over beautiful things and loss. Like, I don't think anyone will actually oh, like it's... hurt me or break my heart. I think, you know, when you hear about those. Something will be so beautiful that it will break your heart. I, I actually yeah. really get that. Maybe it will be Patton being so wonderful that it breaks know. your heart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, but really, like, you know those stories of 
the people who grow old together and then like mm-hmm. the, the the grandma dies and then two days later the grandpa dies. Yeah. I feel like that, but not that old. I don't know. There's so many ways to die of a broken heart, but a beautiful broken heart. So you die like in your sleep thinking of the thing? Yeah, probably. Yes. You just fall asleep and then... Like it will be so crushing yeah. that it would just be like, just so crushing. It would just... Uh, how old How old do you think you are when you die? Well, I really think 98 is a good time to go. 98? Yeah. You don't want to hang on the extra two years for the letter from the Queen. Oh, will she give you a letter? You get a birthday card from the Queen if you make it to 100. I mean, I'm assuming by the time you get to 100, she might I not don't, be. I, I know you might be excited about having the Queen write you a letter, and that would be super cool. It's but if that happened in America, I would choose, like, <laughs> if you could live to 100 and Obama would write you a letter, yeah. I would live to 100. Okay. Well, let's, yeah. let's text him and find out. Um, I'd say that's worth hanging around for. A letter from Obama. Yeah, you get a letter from Obama. But I'm I'm planning on meeting him before that. <laughs> I'm happy not to meet the Queen. I just want the birthday card at 100. Yeah, I'm that'd just, be good. I just want. Then you need to lick your it. glasses to see it, and. <laughs> but yeah, 98 is a good time to go. By the way. Yeah. And also, I'll just put this out there to anyone who's near me. If mm-hmm. anything happens to me where I'm not like at peak capacity, <laughs> I'm good to go. Okay. You yeah. say that and it's something I think about a lot, but like, so what do you want like people to do? Like what's peak capacity? No, I'm not asking what peak, but if you're not a peak capacity, what would you like your loved ones to do? Well, I distinctly remember when my grandma was in hospice and she was not doing well. And my stepmom, who I love and who's a very, very close, she was on the other side of my grandma and, and I was on the, we were both on the other side of the bed, kind of just looking at her. And we were both really, really sad. And I and I looked up at my stepmom and I said, "If I'm ever, if I'm ever like this, just pull the plug." And she goes, "I will." Like we were both very adamantly, like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> whatever you need." Boink. Not even a thought. It's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. Pull that plug. So, do you worry about death, or do you just worry about not having a great life? I don't worry about death. I don't worry about it. I hope it. I mean, I'm very, I'm a very cautious person. I'm often a scared person. Right. Like I'm, I'm a very prepared person at night. If I'm walking, I'm always like, I'm, I'm always afraid of like being attacked or murdered. That That's not going to happen to me, by the way. This is not one of those premonition things where, oh shit, she got attacked and murdered. And look, she was on that podcast and she said that that's not yeah, going to happen. No, I'm going to no, die in my bad, sleep no. from, from old age. Yeah. From a broken yeah. heart. We've made that clear. But I'm careful. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you think happens when you die? Do you think there's an afterlife? I think there is a return to a universal soul kind of a thing. I think I, I remember at my grandpa's funeral, I saw him in the casket. He was the only person I've ever seen who was who had died. And I looked at the casket and I looked at him and I was like, looking at him and it, it was him, but it wasn't him. And I was like, where? Like I looked up, I was like, like you could feel that the, you could feel it wasn't him. Mm. And then I thought you're just, you know, they say you're like, like a cup of water and then you go back into the ocean and you're all just in the ocean together or like in the stars and the twilight and all the, you're just all kind of your soul, whatever that is. It's Mm. all still starlight around. That's what it kind of feels like to me. I love that. But I also think it feels like you can still communicate with your people you know, you can still feel them 
my daughter, her mom passed away when she was seven. Hmm. And I still feel like, you know, I still feel her presence very much. We do, as a family, we talk about her all the time. And, you know, I often joke with Alice, like, that we're still co-parenting. Like, I said, Alice, you better, you need to eat your ice. Because I was always the fun aunt. And then now I'm a mom. So I'm like, you have to eat your vegetables and you have to do this. And I'm like, look, I promised her that I'm going to take care of you. So come on, don't make, don't just do it. Cause you know, don't make me look bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. I wonder that thing you made me think that when you were talking about your granddad's body, that it's like, like marionettes, like the soul is the strings. And then when you cut the strings, a body doesn't have life in it. So then, you're off up here. Does that yeah, make any sense? Yeah, it feels like it. I mean, it's definitely two separate things. Because mm. you're just a dead body laying on a... Let's. You're just a dead body. What mm. was the thing... Unless you're, you know, nothing... St- what stopped? I mean, if your heart, your heart stopped, but, but yeah. you can restart your heart or whatever. But like, where's the thing that actually animates you? Put all the tubes together. Make the body. Put everything together. It's right there. But what actually makes it go whoosh? like life. What is that? And that thing is still twilighting about. You know, when they do heart transplants, that, I mean, I could, I, I believe this to be true. And I'm not a scientist, but I, I want, I, not- I'm not technically a scientist, <laughs> technically. Uh, despite my, what my uh, spotlight CV says, uh, in my special skills, I was told this by a doctor, that basically a heart transplant you get the heart and the heart is just the the replacement heart is just a you know there's no battery in it there's nothing to it it's just a bit of stuff and you put the bit of stuff in and you sew it into the thing and then there's a moment where nothing happens and then life happens and that it's like that moment where the heart either beats or doesn't beat it isn't because they've electrocuted it or you know nothing's it's yeah, the spark it? of life and I mean, people are probably listening to this guy and you're absolutely mad. That is not science. (laughs) (laughs) But really, it is something. Clearly, it's something. You know, no one knows what it is. And for anyone to say they know what it is is such bullshit. But we can all think what we want to think. But clearly, it's something. Yeah, I agree. Now, I've got good news. There is a heaven. It's very nice. It's filled with your favorite things. What's your favorite thing? Oh, my goodness. My one favorite thing, um, just, you know, a beautiful, cool breeze on a hot day with this, just laying down and, you know, chilling right in the sun. Well, let me tell you something. That's what it, heaven is made of. It's a hot day, but there's a cool breeze all the time and you're <laughs> laying in the sun. It's, it's wonderful. There's that everywhere, but there's also screening rooms because they show a lot of films in heaven and that they are indoors because it's much better for the dark. Anyway, but don't worry about that because you can step out and get back in the sun between films. In this heaven, (laughs) they're obsessed with films. You're describing Patton's heaven, by the way. (laughs) All he wants to do is sit in a movie theater all day long and watch movies. And I want to be on the balcony in the sun. So this is Patton's heaven. Yeah, but you know, you're hanging out. Anyway. But there's the cool breeze for you. You know what I mean? There's the screening yeah. rooms for Pat and the, the cool That's breeze. Right. That's exactly right. We did a whole um, ep- a podcast episode of it. That yeah, I'm yeah. He called me like the wood nymph, and he's a swamp troll. Like he's in the, he's just 
I'm outside all the time and he's inside all the time. (laughs) I'm like sunshine. He's like darkness. Like these are our personalities. This is why it works, right? (laughs) We keep having this. Okay. So in this heaven, they're obsessed with films and they want to know about your life, but through films. And the first thing they ask you is what is the first film you remember seeing Natty Gan? Well, I know the first film I remember seeing in a theater. I remember, I don't know if it was the first film I ever saw, but I just remember seeing Star Wars. Oh, wow. In the theater in Westwood in in Los Angeles. And I was with my dad and I'd never in my life seen a line at Mm. a movie theater. I'd never seen a line before. Like it went around the block. Wow. It went. It was crazy that I re- I specifically remember just being looking at the line. How old were you? Oh, I must have been seven. Wow. Eight, maybe seven or eight. And did you love it? It was just you and your dad. Was, I think so. I think my sister might have been there too, but I might block. <laughs> she might have been there too. Oh, I wanted to ask you. You 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 were essentially also a child actor, right? How old were you when you did Natty Gan? Well, when I did. Natty Gan, I was 14. But the first movie I was ever in was the movie Annie when I was 10. And that was directed by John Huston. And yeah. Wait one second. Do you not know that? Do you Am not I know talking that? to someone from fucking Annie? Dude. Yes. I, do, don't right, get excited. This, I'm just one of the orphans. What do you mean don't get excited? This fucking, I fucking love Annie. If I'd known you were in I'm Annie. I'm desperately trying to find a I probably would just be a, a mumbling mess. It's good I didn't know you were in Annie. <laughs> I didn't realize I was talking to someone from fucking Annie. Annie? Yeah. When I was a little girl, I, I wanted to be an actress when I was little. Yeah. And um, one of the girls I went to school, I'm looking for the picture of me in Annie Please. so I can show you. What line did you sing in Dumb Dog? My best friend, Mandy, Mandy yeah. Young, who was in Can't Buy Me Love. I mean, not Mandy Young, excuse me, Amanda Peterson. Yeah. She was in Can't Buy Me Love. And she goes, dumb dog, why are you following me? No, no, no. She said, Rover, why not think it over? That's what, that was her line. Great. I didn't sing in that song. I was mainly in the hard knock life and in You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile. But that's a different story. God, I really need to find this for you. Here we go. Okay. First of all, that was me in Get the fuck out of here. And then here, this is me. I cannot believe you're in Annie. And I didn't know. That is, I'm looking at a picture of you and Annie herself. Aileen Quinn, yeah. Natty Gan and Annie hanging out. What a world. I actually auditioned for Annie. I mean, not not Annie. I went to the audition for Annie for the, for the, an orphan. And it was a huge audition with like 250 girls or something like that. And they taught you a choreographed dance and the choreographer Mm. at the end of the whole thing was like you 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 and you and picked my sister who by the way is the most shy doesn't like to be the center of attention she's just behind the scenes kind of a person don't sing happy birthday to her um (laughs) but she was a ballerina and an amazing dancer and i took her with me because it would be fun and she got it and i didn't and so i went to set they took three months to film on the columbia lot john houston is the director and i would go to set over the summer and I'd like sit in the corner just watching all the girls just being devastated. And then the day they were, or a few that week they were filming, John Houston walked by, this is true. Hmm. And he saw me sitting there like that. And he goes, you, we need another orphan. Come on. And then they're like, put, and then they put me in dirt and put dirt Uh. all over my face. And 
that's my favorite kind of role. Like the journey of Natty Gan, I'm dirty. I like to be gritty and dirty. Like those are the roles that fill me with joy. So yeah, so the first movie I did was, oh, so then they put me in the movie and then they had to redo the um, heart, not hard knock life. Uh, You're never fully dressed without a smile with the seven main orphans. But one of those orphans, this cute little girl, her name was Lucy. She lived in England. So they asked me to do that number and we did the whole thing. You had to rehearse for like a month and then they brought her to film it. But they brought me in as one of the, so I'm in the movie. Uh, as the other orphan, but I also did that too. Can we just cancel the rest of the questions that just talk about Annie? <laughs> I, <laughs> and I Bernadette can't. Peters and Albert Finney and Tim yeah. Curry and Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. What was John Houston like? Was he scary? No, he's such a cute man with a cute beard and like just a nice man. And yeah, I mean, he was so sweet to me. I genuinely don't understand, if I may, and I hope this doesn't upset you. I, I, I need to say... I've read up on Annie and it doesn't, it, it has like mixed reviews, mixed reviews. Does it? And it blows my mind because I'm like, it's a masterpiece. What's wrong with Annie? But yeah. that part, like the beginning with the orphans is great. And then being yeah. at Daddy Warbucks and learning on getting all those great things. But then at the end when it's like, she has to climb up that thing and the helicopter and the Punjab guy. And I don't, that is a little weird, <laughs> but the rest of it. Is super Annie. It's super Like that Annie. part felt like, is this part of the, is this part of it? I don't remember this part. I kind of, you know what I mean? I, anyway, I, it's great. I, I got no, no beef with Annie. I, I and she's Annie. the cutest thing on the planet with her little. Put him up. You know, that scene where, where the boys are going to be mean to the dog and she's like yeah. protecting the dog and she's like. She's really good. Like that's, yeah. Uh, that's like a that. real uh, magic story. What happened to your sister in it? Like, was she, was your sister happy you got a part? Was she like, you fuck She it. was in it too, but you see her. I mean, you see us both like this. Right. But you see me a little longer of a snap. You see me in a few spots and then you just see her running up the stairs. Did your sister ever act again? No. No, she, be- she then became a publicist. So she, okay. yeah, she's a behind the scenes kind of chick. Uh, how did you do be a child actor and then not grow up to be an insane monster? Because I have incredible parents who care about family and care about education. And we're like, no matter what you do, you're going to college. And um, my dad's a dentist. And when I first wanted to be an actress, my mom said something like, I want you to follow your dreams. I want you to be an actress, but you have to stay nice, get good grades. Oh, yeah. She's, uh, I don't remember the third thing, but it was the three things she said. It was like, you have to. You have to promise that you get, you still have to get good grades and you have to stay nice and don't ever be a show off and all that kind of stuff. Really good stuff. And so I, and I went to college and, Mm -hmm. and also, you know, well, part of the going to college thing, I suppose, was like the thing that kept you out of doing drugs and things like, I mean, I can't tell you how many of my dear friends died Mm -hmm. that I've worked with. Like, for example, my sweet friend, Mandy Peterson, who was in Annie with me, she, she died. She um, you know, I think drugs had a lot of things. My, my, my friend River Phoenix, mm-hmm. I, I did the movie The Journey of uh, The Journey, excuse me, A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Corey Haim died. I know it's complications from, but so many of the people I worked with all young yeah. and gone. God, it's sad. And I think it's hard when you're little and you have a lot of success and you're a cute little kid and then 
well, not in these cases, I was going to say, but a lot of times it, little kids are adorable and cute and then they grow mm-hmm. up and they're not so adorable and cute and then they're not treated the same way they were. And it's how do you measure up to the success you had when you were young? Mm. And if you don't, how do you then feel like less than? Most people, most actors, most people start their careers at like the first step, which is, oh, I'm going to work in the mailroom, then I'm going to become an agent, then yeah. I'm gonna, or I'm going to go to med school, and then I'm going to be an intern, and then I'll be a doctor. But when you're a child actor and you're a star, you, st- mm. you star in whatever it is, you're starting at the top. Yeah, that's where any actor wants to be starring in their own movie. And if you're little and you don't continue to have that, that's hard to deal with. Yeah, that's true. And I guess I just have good parents because they're, you know, well, you must do you must do. I mean, I'm serious. That's really it's interesting. And they also didn't have to live off me. You know, I think that's a lot of another thing, too, when kids get money and then their parents like. You know, I think need them to keep working. People like Britney Spears and, you know, employing her family is not a healthy situation and doesn't make mm. you feel, I don't know, there's millions of factors, but I got lucky. Hello, my neighbor Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use Magic Write, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with Magic Write generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't want a few extra bucks in their pocket? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. What is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? I don't. I don't like being scared. Even like if as a joke, like you're walking into the room and someone like opens the door and goes, boo, yeah. my initial, my initial reaction is <gasps> like I, I, and then I'll break down and cry. Like right, I can't, right. I don't like to be scared. Okay. I remember seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Yeesh. 1973 movie when I was in eighth grade, there was a, a, How old a, is eighth a grade? sleepover. I feel like I was in eighth grade. Wait, I'm what sorry. Is that though? Sorry. No, eighth grade. Is, yeah. Like what age is eighth grade? Uh, 14. Oh, okay. I think Alice is 12 and she's in six, 13, four. Yeah. 14. Okay. So a friend of mine had a sleepover, a bunch of girls. She had a pool house and they were showing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
and everyone had been swimming and they're like wrapped in towels and they're all in there watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I was in there and just as soon as I saw the hitchhiker, like just how creepy he looked and they picked him up, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I left, but it was nighttime. We're watching this at night. It's a big sleepover with like 20 girls and they're all watching the movie. And I was like, oh, I can't handle this. So I went outside like by the pool, but then it was like dark outside by the pool and I'm by myself. So I'm like, oh shit, I was even more scared outside. And yeah, I didn't watch, I'd like peek, but I was like, I often close my ears during scary parts of things. It's smart. I think that's the answer. Or mute it. It yeah. makes it less scary. Yeah. It's all in the sand. Uh, and that's a horrible film. You, you, Your instincts were right. What is the film that made you cry the most? Now, I'm assuming there's a long list. There's an incredibly long list. Yeah. And I know you want to say the most, but I have to tell you them all. I, I mean, how long's the list? <laughs> well, it's not that long. Okay. Um, like Dumbo, when the oh, mom Jesus was separated Christ. from her baby and they intertwined, yeah. the, you know, that number one yeah and then like and then the champ when little ricky schroeder was saying goodbye to john voight interesting those two now but back then it was so good then it was like also my parents had gotten divorced when i was around five and around the time kramer versus kramer came out was when i think there was like some custody weird thing and my dad took me to see kramer versus kramer and it was pretty heavy <laughs> and i was just oh, <laughs> i have three more okay in Gilbert Grape, when Leonardo doesn't understand that his mom died mm. and he's sitting there like, wake up, mom. That's really heavy for me. Boys in the Hood, when the cops pull over Cuba Gooding Jr. And then he has to go back and tell his girlfriend what happens. And he just bursts out crying. In a star. Oh, two more. Sorry. In a star is born. Yeah. When Barbara Streisand sings uh, at the very end. Watch closely now. It, it's a medley. It starts out. Anyway, it's the end of. A Star is Born when she's singing yeah. and it goes into watch closely now. And then in terms of endearment, uh, that's one of my favorite films. Everyone thinks it's the obvious scene in the hospital where she's like, my daughter needs medicine. But mine was, and this is why I think I'm going to die of a broken heart because there's Sheila McLean as a grandma. Mm. <laughs> and her grandkids are there because yeah. their mom died. Just seeing them, like, just seeing her watch. Oh, my God. I can't even. Brett. Oh, no. It kills me. Your list is killed You know me. what scene I'm talking about. I know what scene you're talking about. When they're just outside after the funeral and the kids are just playing. Yeah. It's, um. Tissue time. It's killer. <laughs> These are all killers. These are all killers. And a lot yeah. of those scenes are about mothers. Oh, yeah. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. The Boys in the Hood one, I think, was the only one that was sort of yeah. away from kids losing their parents. Yeah. But that scene in Boys in the Hood really did kill me. Like, ah. Uh, oh, just, yeah. Yeah. I think you are going to die of a broken heart. and You might take us all See, with you. See, I might have just died. I might have already died. <laughs> oh, God. I might be in heaven right now. <laughs> you are. What's the film, Meredith? What's the film that people don't really like but you love it unconditionally you don't care what anyone says i have heard that people don't like this film or think it's weird but popeye by robert robert altman oh that's a great answer everyone thinks that's weird that's a really good answer it was very badly reviewed and people think it's weird yes um but i love that movie i loved that movie 
I thought Robin Williams was amazing. And when Shelley yeah. Duvall sings, he needs me, he needs me, he needs me. And they use that song in Punch Drunk Love, by the yes. way, but it kills me. I love that movie. And I love, I just, it was so, it, the art direction and the, the, the sets and Robin Williams. And uh, it's, I love that movie, but uh, people don't like that movie. People don't like that movie. They think it's weird. And you're right. It's a, that's a really good choice. I think people just can't handle like it doesn't sort of fit a template. It's not like it's so other odd. films. It's a very odd film. No, it's really odd. It's, it's very great. artsy, but like tonally, weird, is it a cartoony, kids film? yeah, it's... and a little dark, like kind of really dark. Yeah, but like kills me, kills yeah. me, kills me. Really, I love it. Really good. What's a film that you used to love? You loved it. And then you've watched it recently and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this anymore. For whatever reason that may be. I feel like I haven't seen this in a while. I used to watch the movie um, Weird Science all the oh, time yeah. with Love Anthony it. Michael Hall and Elon Mitchell Smith and Bill Paxton. Kelly and um, I loved it. And Kelly LeBrock. Mm-hmm. And I obviously it's an incredibly misogynistic movie, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be. I mean, it was that era so i don't think it holds up necessarily like politically correct wise and i I haven't seen it in a million years and i'm assuming i would still love it the way i loved it back then but it could be problematic um but i did love it and i don't know would i still love it it's a really good show i loved that film and i'm sure it's wildly problematic (laughs) but yeah i'm sure i'm sure i mean even the concept has issues (laughs) but it's (laughs) Well, it's, that's the uh, whole, yeah, that's yeah. the whole misogyny of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I used to want to look like her, and I used to want yeah. to wear the outfit that she was wearing when she's in the doorway in the little cutoff mm-hmm. and the little blue underwear. And I was like, I want to look like that. Yeah, I, I, that image is, takes up a lot of room in my brain still. Yeah, I think everybody's brain. Yeah. What a wonderful, what a wonderful woman. I hope <laughs> she's well. What? Uh... You're so lovely. what is is the what is the film that means the most to you the film itself might not be that special or good but the experience you had around seeing the film is what makes it so special well i have two movies i'm sorry it's got to be more than one but Smokey and the bandit with burt reynolds and sally field it's the reason i became an actress i wanted to be i felt like i wanted to be an actress in me as a child. But when I saw her in it, I just saw myself in her. I, I, I loved it all. I watched that movie a billion times. That's sort of like, that's what I want to do. When I saw Smoking the Bandit, I was like, that's, that's my job right there. Sally Field uh, in Frog in Smoking the Bandit. You've seen it a million yeah, times, yeah. I'm sure, probably. Yeah. And then um, when I was around 10, the movie Fame, I already was an actress. I already, I think I had already gotten Annie by that point when that came out, I think. But then it's such a gritty, scary, dark kind of movie with all these deep feels. And, um, it's very dark fame. I could see myself in all of them. And I was like, okay, smoking the bandit, like that's cute and adorable. And that's the kind of actress I want to be. But I also want to do that really dark, dark, gritty, like back. I don't know. It felt really, dangerous it was a day it felt dangerous that movie to me like i think it does it was so open i think it holds up it does feel dangerous it's a very 
it's just a, it's a bit like Saturday Night Fever in that I think the idea of it, yes. you go, oh, that's a fun film. And then you watch it and go, fucking hell, this is dark. Yeah. And he actually, Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. had an actor named Barry Miller in it. He's the one who jumped off the bridge. Yeah. And in fame, he was um, the actor, the comedian guy. He put uh, tap bottle caps on the bottom of his tennis shoes. Yeah. And in the movie I did, The Journey of Natty Gann, he's he's the dearest He's he was in the movie The Chosen. He he's such a great actor, Barry Miller, and he was in Natty Gann. He was the head of the gang when I go into town with my wolf, and they like take me under their wing. Um, it's the only it. time like I'm with a group of bad kids. You really did. You did. You've achieved both sides. Natty Gann is is up there with like one of my personal favorite Disney films is Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is unbelievably dark. The animated. The animated. Really. I never saw the whole thing. Oh, you've got to see it. No. It's incredible. Okay. It's incredible. And it's incredible. Like, I'm sure I've talked about it on this podcast before. There's a sequence in The Hunchback of Notre Dame that I do not know how you explain it to a kid because the sequence is about a man talking about going to hell because of his sexual obsession. That is what the sequence is. <laughs> and there's no metaphor. I don't know how you, I just don't know what you're telling. If a kid goes, what was that about? You're like, I mean, the guy thinks he's going to go to hell because he's desperate to have sex with someone. And this is like an animated Disney film. It's really, really good. Was it the hunchback who had those feelings? No, it's Judge Claude Frollo. It's the troublesome okay. guy. I'll watch it. But Natty Gan is also not, not, it's not in that way, but it's, uh, it's kind of gritty and it's dark and there's real yeah, danger. It, and They didn't on, think, you tell me. It, it wasn't like a typical Disney film. It no. was definitely, it was dark. It it was shot dark. It is the, the the heroine of it isn't like a cute, pretty princess. Patton always says she's the Tom Waits of Disney princesses. <laughs> she's like the gritty one, like smoking in the alley and yeah, yeah. fishing out of trash cans and eating salami. Come here, um, wolf. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that is exactly the kind of role mm. that I still love and want and always prefer doing to this day i've had roles that are dark and gritty and i'm like they, i just i just they're like my soul those parts that's great what is the film that you most relate to not again okay well we've already talked about smoking the bandit yeah her role in that and then um tatum o'neill's role in paper moon and deborah winger in urban cowboy and sally field and norma ray and Snow White and Mary Poppins, they're all parts of me. Like wow. Norma Ray, like that fighting spirit, that like, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to stand up for everyone. I'm going to just be that girl. I'm, And that's me, an urban cowboy. Just Paper Moon feels very much like Natty Gann and Annie. And, and Snow White, I mean, I'm just, I'm very much a caretaker of other people. And also like, you like apples. I'm Snow White. <laughs> and Mary Poppins is just my personality with kids. I'm like literally Mary Poppins. I'm anti-mare extraordinaire. That's a really good uh, pie pie chart, is it? <laughs> it is. It's sort I'd of like, like to see that. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a great answer. What is objectively the greatest film of all time? If you're ever asked, I always would say The Black Stallion with Mickey Rooney. I think it's objectively mm-hmm. beautiful. The cinematography, the story. It's so simple. It's so I just love it. And I, and that's been one of my favorite movies for so, so long. And and then I saw Jojo Rabbit that yes. Taika Waititi directed. Yes. And I really think 
that that also is one of the greatest movies of all time. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's so well done. Um, it tackles such a hard subject in such a unique way. It, it's it's magical and romantic and it, it, historic. And oh, it's just so beautiful. I love it. And the imagery with the shoes, with Scarlett Johansson after, you know, when she's tap dancing, you see her shoes. And then later she's hanging and it, oh my goodness, I love that movie so much. I think it's objectively a, a masterpiece. I loved you saying that. I really, 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 really like that film. That is a very good answer and it has not been put in this category. And I thank you for oh. doing so. <laughs> Meredith Salinger, Natty Gan, what is the sexiest film you've ever seen, if I may? Well, the most romantic film I've ever seen was A Little Romance with Diane Lane. That was not the question. And John Gilgut. That was not the question. I know. The sexiest, I would say, was um, probably nine and a half weeks. I think... Solid answer. I was 18 when it came out. And just remembering, like, sexy things, like, Mm -hmm. uh, officially, like, pointed towards sex was that movie. And the the food thing was so sensual. and And the power... I mean, it's totally horribly inappropriate. It's the worst misogynistic, most hideous film of all time. Truly. But there was something so sexy about just the dominating power thing that he had over her and she was so oh my god it was a very sexy movie what was the romantic most romantic one? Oh, a little romance with diane lane and Lawrence olivier not jo- i said john gilgood but it was Lawrence olivier uh lovely i love that movie it's so beautiful the little oh it, the, i was like oh, that little romance between those <laughs> two. that's why it's called a little romance <laughs> but that have you you've seen that right I love Diane Lane. I'm a huge Diane Lane fan. I'm a huge Diane Lane fan. I love her. She's so... Did you see... Um, was it Unforgivable? What was the... Uh, the I, I, I th- Unfaithful. Oh, yeah. Unfaithful. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's also pretty freaking sexy. Jesus. Mm. That's Same really sexy. Okay, I'll, I'll add that to my sexiest. Same director as Nine and a Half Weeks, maybe. No. Really? I think it is. I think Adrian Lyne. It's Adrian is it? Lyne, right? Yeah. I don't. Is it really? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was nine and a half weeks. Oh I my god! It. Well, there, there. I certainly have a kind of thing I like. I guess you like Adrian Lyne. I guess so. What is uh, there's a subcategory to this question? I'm afraid. <sighs> and we're just gonna have to. Yeah, I I know what you're gonna ask. Uh oh, I think trab- you're ask. troubling boners, worrying why duns. What is the film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should? Well, I I knew this was one of the questions and I did think about it and nothing really popped into my mind at all other than Jessica Rabbit from Roger Rabbit and just wanting to look like her, wanting to be like her. And oh my God, I just had an epiphany. (gasps) She is with a short little comedian rabbit. (laughs) Uh, You are Jessica Rabbit. He's my little, oh my God. He's, He's my Roger Rabbit. That's really funny. <laughs> um, yes. I found that very, well, arousing? I don't know. I would just say sexy. Nothing is, I mean. Yeah. Okay. Unfaithful. All of those. I don't know. They kind of go together, don't they? Jessica Rabbit and unfaithful. I mean. I don't know. It's a boy thing. I think that question is more of a boy thing. Because nothing is. Because the thing that well, maybe me- it has more to do with whether you feel like in a good way. Maybe you can't think of an answer because you don't think there's anything wrong with anything. It yeah, I don't not- really. You're like, yeah, I was aroused. But I don't see that as a problem. 
Right. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I guess that's... What is the film? I get that, a bit shy. Uh, no, I, I'm embarrassed by this whole section. But, and yet we persist with it. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Midnight Run. Oh, great shout. I think I've seen Midnight Run 30 times. I'm obsessed with Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro in it. I'm obsessed with both of them in that era anyway. Every Mm -hmm. Charles Grodin movie from that era seems like old times, all of his everything. Robert De Niro, I mean, literally everything. But Midnight Run is the best. I could watch that movie constantly. It's the most, it's got the best humor. It's so well written. It's so, I just love that movie. Love it. Love it. Have watched it a billion times. Perfect. And of course, Smoking the Bandit and the Muppet movie. Yes, yes, yes. What is the film that we don't like to be negative, you and me, Meredith? That's one thing we have in common. (laughs) But what's the worst film you've ever seen? I remember taking my friend's daughter to see Cars 2. And I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie before, but I was like, this is atrocious. It's atrocious. It, there was nothing redeeming about it. Not wow. one thing. Awful. Walked out. I hate walking out of movies. I think that is not a good thing to you do. You took the kids with you. Were they like, we're having fun? Yep. You're like, no. I, 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 kept saying to the little, I kept saying to this little girl, I was like, this is terrible, right? <laughs> None of us are enjoying this, right? Like, I'm like, do you like this? Do you like this? And she's like, oh, okay. let's get out of here. Let's go get ice cream. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, terrible, but you know. What's the film? Yeah. That made you laugh the most? Well, I would say Caddyshack. I've, I think. I don't usually laugh out loud, usually. I usually am like, huh, that's clever. I mean, I think I, I don't know. I can't remember what, if I've laughed, laugh, laugh, laugh. But I find it funny. But the one time I actually did laugh yeah. was, and this is definitely not what you're looking for. But I remember years ago, I went to see the movie Boys on the Side with one of my best friends. It's Love it's it. a Drew Barrymore movie and somebody's yeah. dying of AIDS. And it was so, and I saw it in a packed theater and I was sort of like close to the front row with my, my best friend and we were watching it and it was so quiet. There was like a scene that's just so sad and everyone was just silent. And I was crying so hard. I was like, <gasps> like people could hear me. And then she was crying so loud. And I looked at her and we were like, and then we burst out laughing because we were so loud that people were like, shh. And then we started laughing because we were being loud. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. I couldn't stop laughing because I couldn't stop crying. And that's, yeah. That that's I did a laugh. really lovely answer, actually. Actually, <laughs> I really like that. Meredith Salinger. Yeah. You've been absolutely wonderful, as expected, to be honest. I came into this thinking, she'll be wonderful. And you were wonderful. <laughs> However... When Uh-oh. you were 98 years old, you were two years away from that letter from Obama. And I had got a birthday card from the Queen lined up. Not that you were interested, but one was on its way two years ago. Coming. <laughs> but anyway, you saw something very, very beautiful. And it was love. And it was love between you and Patton. A very lovely thing happened. It was so beautiful that you lay in bed and you went to sleep. And you went, and your heart exploded like that. And your marionette strings dropped and you ascended to heaven where there was a cool breeze on a hot day and you were lying in a field. I'm walking about with a coffin, you know what I'm like. And I'm like, I wonder what Meredith... <laughs> I know you. I'm you wrong. and your coffin. 
I wonder what Meredith's up, up to. I'll just pop in and see you. You're dead in the bed. Oh, no. And, uh, Terrifying sad. This really bad thing is no one had noticed. <laughs> and your, your body <laughs> no one noticed. had been eaten by, uh, oh, no. by the very wolves that you had acted with uh, in that again. Had come back to, because they were going to, you know, they, your family, they were going to return you to exactly. the woods. Uh, and I was like, get off her. And, and there was like bits of meat everywhere. And it was a fucking state. Anyway, I clear up as best I can. I put all your bits in this coffin. But then, because of all the wolf stuff and the bits of the ground they've been chewing and the beds, and it's a mess. There's so much more than I was expecting. I've stuffed you in the coffin. It's full. There's really only enough room to slide one DVD in the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. One night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it is your movie night? Meredith Salinger, go. The Journey of Natty Gann. I'm sure you thought I might say that. I did not um, think you not might just say because, that. No, not just because it is a beautiful film, but it shaped my life in such a profound way. And I just feel so close to that character and I feel being strong and brave and fierce and full of love and determined. It's sort of like the thing that defines me as who I am anyway. But it's also me. Yeah, It's yeah. me. And it's me. And it's just, it just feels like me. And then it would be a really great reminder of how the wolves ate me to have <laughs> the, the reason why it was wolves that ate me. Yeah. It's like, oh, because of that. Because of Nat again, she was a wolf girl. And if anyone's going to bring her home, it's going to be the wolves. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just such a huge part of me, that film, and it's shaped my life in such a huge way. And so that's what I would. You've been wonderful. Is, it, is there anything you would like to tell people to watch or look out for or listen to your podcast, for example? Oh, I guess I should tell them to watch that. Or, I mean, not watch it. Listen to it. We don't have video. We listen don't have this Patreon cool stuff, Brett. No. Yeah, listen to a podcast by my husband, Pat Oswald, and myself called Did You Get My Text? It's pretty funny. And um, what else? Everything I'm doing is all, uh, you know, very, very much behind the scenes at the moment, but also acting. I just did a movie with Rita Moreno, which should be coming out soon, called um, The Prank. She's super cool. She's also uh, nine. She's going to be 98 or 90. Uh (laughs) She's going to be 90. She's going to be. She's so brilliant. She's an EGOT. She's the first EGOT. Wow. Anyway, that was a cool movie. But yeah, do whatever you want. Can I <laughs> Listen ask to you, whatever you like. Uh, and I will cut this if you're uncomfortable. I've never done this with any guest for the record. Oh, let's. I have a friend. He's called Henry Widdicombe. He is a comedian and a producer, and he produces the best comedy festival in the entire world. And he loves you very much. <laughs> I was wondering if we could finish with you saying his name <laughs> and saying that you are thinking of him always and perhaps he can make that his ringtone to wake him up every day and it will blow his (laughs) mind if you are comfortable doing that i know it would make him very happy i'm absolutely comfortable doing it what is his name his name is henry widdicombe henry widdicombe oh look i just said his name (laughs) (laughs) haha no (laughs) so if we could finish with a little message for your biggest fan henry widdicombe i am thinking of you henry widdicombe always you think he'll like that? That gave me shivers. That was magnificent. If I had the microphone up a bit, 
and then headphones on, I could have said it a bit better. Like, I, I do like, the AMSO version. I'm thinking of you, Henry Whittacombe, always. Would have sounded better with an English accent, I think. Really, really good. Most things do. I'm glad that um, we got to do this. Thank you for your time. And I hope that you have a wonderful death. Good night. Good night, Brett. So that was episode 167. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Meredith. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but don't tell me about the podcast. I know what a podcast is. I do the podcast. Write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a very nice thing to read. People like reading it. it makes people cry or laugh, whatever you want. And it is very much appreciated. Thank you all for listening to the show. Thank you so much to Meredith for doing it. Thanks to Scribius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Agus for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week, where I believe my guest will be the award-winning comedian, Mr. Phil Nickel. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And please, more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more. Online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you.